the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart, you need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, and as always, Always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is using the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to the studio producer. Great to have you with us today. Uh, boy, it's been a busy, busy week, but a really good week. I'll talk about it a little bit in just a few moments. Uh, a couple of programming things to talk about. Uh, first, we will not be having a live program on Monday. It's Memorial Day and the station uh, is closed. So uh, we'll be doing a repeat broadcast, uh, but just on uh, on Monday. Hope you have a safe Memorial Day. This is a long weekend, so be safe out on the roads. And then also tonight, instead of our normal Friday night Bible study, um, we uh, give uh, our seniors, our graduates now, not seniors any longer, our graduates, uh, an opportunity to address the church at large. It's always a neat thing. They got to share last night uh, at the graduation ceremony, and it was wonderful. Uh, But tonight, they get a little bit more time and uh, hopefully a little less um, formal uh, and and what a blessing it will be. So tonight here at 7 o'clock, um, we will have our graduates addressing the church. It's just sort of the graduates' way of saying thank you to the church for supporting a free school. It costs a lot of money, and um, um, our, our graduates are the beneficiaries of it. Uh, so that's all that's going on here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Before I get to questions, I have a statement that was sent in or a, a note from uh, Dorothy. Uh, Dorothy says, congrats to the seniors. I'm uh, a longtime listener, mostly blonde like you, Ron. Blonde, blonde. Mostly blind like you, Ron. I used to be blonde, and now I'm dirty gray. Uh, mostly blind like you, Ron. I love the interactions between you and the 12 seniors graduating. They're amazing, and it was such a real joy to hear them and you with them. Uh, Dorothy, you made my day today, and not just with the nice thing that you said about the the, the show with the seniors, but it's been a long time since you've called or heard from you, and it's wonderful to know that you are here. And you're right, you and I had an instant connection on the program uh, because uh, you are, I think, you 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 see less than I do, um, but uh, um, you know you understand me and I understand you. So thank you very much for letting me know that you're doing well. Um, it, it's wonderful to hear from you. Uh, I love the program on uh, on Friday and uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, I, today's Friday. I love the program on 
Wednesday and um, um, last night's graduation um, ceremony was really, really neat. You know, I think it's hard to explain. Um, you know, it sometimes even hard for me to process my feelings a little bit because I've known most of these kids um, as, as as infants, you know, when they were in mom's belly, some of them, and um, to see them grow up and to listen to them and uh, see how the Lord is using them. And I, I keep emphasizing this, but it's really important. This is the first class, graduating class, uh, in our 20 or 24-year history of the school, 28-year history of, uh, of our church. Um, it's uh, the only graduating class where every single one of them has been a born-again Christian. And to be able to uh, to, to see that and uh, tonight, last night, I'll see it again tonight, but when they share sort of where they came from and how they got to where they are, it's an amazing thing to consider, um, an amazing thing to consider uh, what God has done in their lives. So, Dorothy, thank you for the reminder and the opportunity to mention that, but uh, it, it, it's really, really good to hear from you. Here is an anonymous question that came in. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, why do Christians rejoice over small answers to prayer but refuse to be honest when God doesn't answer bigger prayers like prayers for healing? Um, Anonymous, we rejoice over small answers to prayer. Uh, Very simply, we, we, we rejoice because we owe God everything. We're grateful for anything and everything that he does. And we recognize as born-again Christians, we recognize that we don't deserve anything from God, that he died for our sins, that that he's given us his righteousness, his perfection. Uh, We should be grateful and rejoice all day, every day, if he never did anything else for us. Now, I think the juxtaposition here for you is, um, you know, we, we, we praise God when we get little tiny things answered, but ignore the bigger things uh, like healing when those prayers aren't answered. Honestly, Anonymous, we don't expect to be healed. It's not a lack of faith. It's just that is not typically the way God works. Uh, Jesus was doing it when he was here during the book of Acts. The apostles were doing miraculous things to validate their ministry. Um, but, but, But people like me, we don't expect to be healed. If God touches us and we pray and we ask. The Bible says, uh, Paul writing with thanksgiving, we can make our request known to God. Uh, but we we fully and genuinely acknowledge that, that most of those prayers for the miraculous do not get answered. It's that simple. They, they wouldn't be miracles if they happened all the time. So the truth is that, um, for instance, Dorothy mentioned my, my visual impairment. Um, uh, I've prayed, I may have missed a day or two over the, the many years I've been this way, but but not many. And uh, I pray all the time and ask God, according to his will, um, heal my eyes. And he hasn't done that. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't praise him and I don't rejoice over all the other things that he's done. Let me anonymous sort of touch or tie in uh, the, the ceremony last night. Um, I can honestly say that, uh, and, and everybody who knows me or has been listening to this program in length of time knows that I'm not talking about money now. But yesterday, sitting there watching those kids and looking into their faces, uh, knowing what I know about them, uh, I felt last night like the richest man on planet Earth. In fact, when we left, Paul and I, when we left, when it was over, she said, you're a rich man, aren't you, Pastor Ron? And the answer is yes, I am a rich, rich man. And, uh, you know, I can rejoice and I can praise God for the things that he's done in their life. But your question sort of presupposes that God is supposed to uh, answer our big prayers. Uh, and, and that's not God's job at all. So we can ask. We can ask in faith. But that doesn't guarantee God is going to do anything. I know a lot of people that love Jesus with all of their heart uh, who have not been healed in spite of their prayers and many, many other prayers on their behalf. So it's not either or. 
uh, whatever God does, Anonymous, those are really important things for us, and we rejoice that God would consider us at all. What did David say? What is man that you're mindful of him? And uh, that's, I think, the, the grateful response to those things. And by the way, before I go to the next question, uh, that doesn't mean we're being naive. It doesn't mean that we're ignoring uh, the many prayers that don't get answered. Um, every real Christian ought to be praying, Thy will, O God, not my will be done. That's Jesus who gave us that example. Here's another anonymous question. Uh, what language was spoken at the time of the Tower of Babel? And what language will be spoken in heaven? Um, we don't know. The reason it's Babel is because it sounded like Babel. It'd, it'd be like going into a place where all the church people are speaking in tongues at the same time, and you would just think, well, this is nonsensical. Um, but God confused their language so that they couldn't understand. And um, uh, the language they were speaking in before uh, God confused their language, we have no indication of what that is. Um, um, it, it might correctly be referred to as Palestinian in the sense that the entire region there um, um, was, was uh, you know, the, the people that were there, uh, while not Jews, certainly. Um, but, but we don't know. We don't know. And regarding what language will be spoken in heaven, um, you know, I, I personally think, and this is just one of those weird things that I think about, I don't think we'll have to talk. I think we'll be able to know everything, and I think communication will be so pure, so unpolluted, that, that we'll be able to communicate um, in an instant without, without words. Uh, and I think our words in, in heaven will be reserved for praising the Lord. And in that particular case, we don't know what language. I can tell you what Paula thinks. Paula says that she's already signed up for the Spanish section in heaven because she so loves the Spanish language. She'd love to be able to speak it here, but she can't. So she's already tried to reserve her place in the Spanish-speaking section of heaven. But uh, there's there's just no way to know the answer to those kind of questions. But um, everything will be new, so I imagine language will be new as well. That's the best I can do on that question. Here is a question from Felicia. She says, the Bible says that we're supposed to submit to our spiritual leaders. Who is my spiritual leader? The pastor? Um, Felicia, the spiritual leader, uh, those people that are placed over you. Now, um, I don't know if you're married. You don't indicate that. But, but in the home, your husband is your spiritual leader. If you go to a church, then the pastors who are appointed over you, uh, not over you to lord over you, please don't misunderstand, but, but they're the ones that God has given um, the responsibility of stewardship for your, your well-being. Um, they're your spiritual leaders. Now, I want you to understand that this isn't a submission in the sense that whatever they say, you do. And and the reason I, I want to point that out is because there are just too many people who take advantage of that kind of authority. Um, and, and so when somebody tells you to do something um, that, that is, is ungodly, uh, you can't do it. Uh, even, even in a marriage situation, the husband who's your spiritual head, uh, he has no right to ask you to do something um, that is um, in contradiction to the Word of God. Um, the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And, of course, bad things. Excuse me, I take a cough break. Uh, bad things. Um, Jesus, of course, would never ask you to do those things. So we submit as unto the Lord. And the same thing is true in the church. So they're your spiritual leaders, Paul says, to make their job a joy. Don't cause them difficulty, uh, but, but walk together. And remember, following the example of your pastors only works as long as their example is following Jesus. So um, those, those are your leaders at home and in the church. And all that means, again, it doesn't mean that we do whatever anybody says. Uh, what it means, Felicia, is that we, um, we, we serve under their leadership. Not because we trust them, although hopefully in a church setting you do trust your spiritual leaders. But we do it because we trust the Lord. 
and God has a plan for every church. And if that uh, church is following God's plan, you have an important role in it. That church needs you just like you need that church. So, Felicia, that uh, that's my answer. Thank you very, very much for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Rebecca. She asks, is it okay to pray to angels? Absolutely not. It's not okay to pray. The Bible says there's one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. So, he's the only one that we need to pray to. He's the one that enables us to have access to the throne of God. He's the one that has given us the right to approach God by cleansing us of our sins and giving us his righteousness. Um, angels are simply servants of God. Every time you see an angel appear in the Bible, now they're they're horrifying. I mean, not horrifying in a bad way, but I mean terrifying in a in an awesome way. Uh, when you see people fall down on their face, when an angel appears, the angel says, "Do not worship me or get up off your knees. I'm I'm just a servant of God, just like you are." So there's nothing about angels that puts them in a position to where we should we should pray to them at all. Um, I heard a question on another program not long ago about um, um, should should we pray to angels and if not, um, can we pray to, uh, to, to Jesus to send an angel? Um, no, the angels are staring at the Lord right now. And if you need an angel, he'll dispatch an angel. And almost always, Rebecca, you won't know that an angel's been there. I believe on at least three occasions that I'm aware of. Now, when we get to heaven, I think we're going to be aware of a whole lot more uh, than we ever ever imagined while we're here on earth. But um, with all of my heart, I believe at least on three occasions that angels have uh, rescued uh, Paula and me. Um, they've been where we are, and they've kept us from really, really bad things happening. Uh, and and um, I never once thanked the angel. Never once. Um, what I did is I thank God because it's God who sends them on their mission. They're ministering spirits um, sent to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. And Rebecca, that's you and me. So we don't want to pray to angels. We pray just to God. And um, uh, personally, I pray uh, most of my conversation is with Jesus. Um not exclusively, but mostly. So, Rebecca, thank you very, very much for the question. Dennis says, I believe Mormons are saved, and someone else told me they weren't. Why would God discriminate against Mormons just because they have some different beliefs? Um, Dennis, the real question with Mormons, the same thing is true with Jehovah's Witnesses, um, the, 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 the biggest problem is that the Jesus that they proclaim, now they say the name Jesus, and they use what we would call Christian language. Yes, he died for my sins. Uh, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. They would say those same things. The problem is is that their Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible. Their Jesus isn't the creator Jesus, the one who said, let there be light and there was light. Um, Mormons believe that um, uh, Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer, sort of the good Part of the of the of the pairing, Satan, Lucifer, the bad part. He took the dark path, and and uh, and Jesus took the, the the right path. But that cannot be true. You see, just because they use the name Jesus, just because they use language that sounds Christian, uh, if they don't know Jesus, the real Jesus. Creator God, the Son of God, who is God the Son. Um, he's the only one that can forgive sins. We're told in the Bible over and over that only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus isn't God, and their Jesus is not Creator God, um, then um, they have no way to have their sins forgiven. So Dennis, just because they use the same language, uh, just because they... I mean, they're family-oriented. They stand for traditional values, family values. All that's great. 
uh, but there's none good, not even one, no one who seeks God. And, and Mormons simply do not have access to the Father in heaven because they deny the deity, the divinity of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So that's the only way people can be saved, just by Jesus. It's not just different beliefs. They've got a completely different Jesus altogether. And that ought to make you angry, Dennis. And, you know, the problem is if you'll talk to Mormons and ask the question, well, who is Jesus? They'll say, well, he's my Savior. He died for my sins. That's why you have to be very specific. Tell me two things. One, when you were born again, and they'll look at you like you're nuts. And then the second thing that you want to ask them is, is is your Jesus almighty God? Is he God? And and if they're honest, now there are Mormons that don't know this. They, they're like everybody else. Well, Jesus, yeah, sure, Jesus. But but the Mormons who know, the Mormons who've been been raised and trained in the in the Mormon Church, uh, they'll be honest with you. No, he's not. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer, and and you know then why they're not saved. So it's not God discriminating against him. Jesus Himself said He was the only way to the Father in heaven, and uh, it can't be a Jesus that we make up. The same thing is true, Dennis, in in what I call progressive, which are really regressive Christian churches. They identify as Christian, but they're no more Christian um, than a man identifying a woman as a woman. So the, the idea, they've, they've got to have the Jesus who can save, and only God can forgive sins. Only God can save. And that's not discrimination. They have the same opportunity as you do and as I do. And in fact, Dennis, I believe they're probably a little more accountable uh, because they know. Can you imagine? They would take the word of of a, a man who's a false prophet but claims to have all of the answers, Joseph Smith, but they won't uh, in, in any fashion or form uh, do the research. Um, Mormons believe, by the way, that the New Testament is, in er- is, is errant, full of error, because it wasn't put together uh, I'm sorry, he says, because it was put together by man and not God, uh, like the Council of Nicaea. Uh, God put together the Bible a long time before the Council of Nicaea, uh, the the New Testament apostles um, and prophets were teaching the word of God before it was ever bound together. Um, so that's that's reason. We've got, I think, four minutes left in this half of the program. Here's an anonymous question. What is your position on keeping the Sabbath? Um, You don't have to. (laughs) Um, The Sabbath was never given for Christians. Uh, The Sabbath was a part of the the law, Ten Commandments, and then later the Law of Moses. Um, And the Sabbath was uh, the the seventh day uh, rather than the first day. And um, um, Jesus fulfilled the law. So, no, we don't have to keep the original Sabbath. New Testament Christians were never told to keep the Sabbath. That was a law. In fact, the entirety of the law was given to Jews. I was just working today, Anonymous, on um, next Friday night study uh, in Galatians chapter 3. And... um, um, Paul goes to great lengths to prove that this was the purpose of the law, but now the law has been exceeded by the promises that are given to those who believe. We're justified by faith. And um, to, to, to keep the original Sabbath, the seventh day, was never something that we were told to do. And that's one of the reasons why um, hermeneutics is important, learning to study your Bible, um, if we just read the Old Testament, we can think, well, all those words are given to everybody who's a believer in God, uh, but they're not. They're given specifically to the nation of Israel. God had a very specific purpose in giving them those laws. In, in fact, the Sabbath law in the ancient world was unheard of because people, especially slaves, were expected to work seven days a week. There was no days off. Nobody cared about their well-being. God alone said, on this day, this is a day you set aside for me, it's a day of rest. He began that pattern on the seventh day of creation when because the work was done at the end of six days, he rested. 
And God's saying, I'm doing that for you. Now, the principle of rest is still a wonderful rest. We need to watch our health. We need to have some time where we're away from just the daily grind of things. And, of course, on uh, every day for the New Testament Christian, we need to be focused on the person and the presence of Jesus Christ. But we, we've never been told to keep the Sabbath. Uh, that was specifically for Jews. God had a reason to do it. And uh, that reason has been completely fulfilled and removed, canceled, is what the New Testament says. Uh, Jesus canceled the code that was against us. And so, no, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. Paul addresses this in two particular places, in Galatians and Colossians, uh, when he's fighting some of the Judaizers' false doctrine. Um, every day, he says, for for a Christian is is a Sabbath day. Every day we can find our rest in Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about. So we don't have to keep the original Sabbath, um, but we have the, the advantage of every day being a Sabbath. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's what the Sabbath was intended to accomplish. Jesus then fulfilled that promise. Thank you for the question. Hey, the phone's have been quiet. I know everybody's getting ready for a long weekend, but we'd love to have your participation. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. Every day, that's the fastest two minutes of my 24-hour day. Um, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. KSLR. We have somebody on the line, Cindy from San Antonio on line one. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. First, I want to say congratulations to all the kids that graduated and how they are that they went to a Christian school. I went to public four different high schools in, in Southern California, and I can only say I wish if the Lord would say, I want to change something, what would you like to change? I would say, let me be born a lot later and go to Calvary Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cindy, thank you for mentioning that. But but the kids last night, every one of them were so grateful for this school, uh, for the things that they learned, and for the, the, the focus on Christ. Um, it was just wonderful to hear their gratitude and, uh, you know, that was our 17th graduating class. We This is our 24th year. And uh, it, it's just an amazing thing to be able to provide for them. So thank you for mentioning that. What's on your heart? Well, I am real confused, and I'm wondering about Ezra. I've, I've been so fascinated with him, and I know I can't wait until our next Wednesday study in Ezra. So I really want to know, how old was he when, when he found out the temple was going to uh, start being built, and then how old was he by the time he finally got there? So I'll get off the phone and um, listen on the radio. Thank, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. And the answer to your question is we have no idea how old he was. Um, we know that Ezra was born and raised in Babylon. Um, clearly his father uh, was uh, was somebody who loved God's Word, and God used his father to to transfer that love to Ezra, and um, just an amazing amazing work that God did, and God did it over a period of years. You know the neat thing about the book of not the neat thing. There's a lot of neat things about it, but but in the book of Ezra, he doesn't even show up on the scene until um, uh, the seventh chapter, and 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 that division is some, some sixty years in the first six chapters of Ezra have already gone by. And that means God was working in the background, behind the scenes, to prepare Ezra 
for this very moment. So Ezra just loved God's Word. Um, In the New Testament, Cindy, as you know, we're going through the book of Acts. Uh, Every time Peter opens his mouth, um, the Word of God comes out. If you want to be used by the Lord, you've got to be a man or woman of the Word of God. And Ezra was, as was uh, Peter. So uh, that's all we know. I don't know any more about that. Now, just a mention, Cindy, a reminder to you, next Wednesday night, um, uh, Paul and I, we're going to take a break from Ezra. And be, it's because of Ezra. The theme of Ezra is the, the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Uh, and, and the Lord has put it in my heart to share uh, with the body here. Um, certainly not all the things. We can't do that. We don't have time for that. But some of the things where we have seen the gracious hand of our God on us in the work here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I hope, Cindy, that uh, that uh, you won't be too disappointed that we're going to be taking a one-week break uh, from Ezra. But, but I think it's going to fit right into Ezra as well. Thank you, Cindy. Let's go to Jim on line two from San Antonio. Jim, thank you for holding your on the air. Yes, uh, I can actually listen off the air. But I have a question. I was told that today is the actual biblical day of Pentecost. And I was wondering, were your thoughts on that? And if it is, why it's not kept? So one person explained to me that, well, uh, well, I've heard different reasons, but one explained to me, well, we do it on, we prefer to do it on Sundays. But I was really curious about that. Would you mind speaking to that? And I can listen off the air. Okay, Jim. Thank you very, very much. Uh, I don't know how anybody would conclude that uh, May 26th uh, on on our Julian calendar uh, is the day of Pentecost. And so um, um, I, I'm completely baffled by who would say that uh, and what conclusion they would make. I can tell you why we don't celebrate Pentecost. We don't celebrate Pentecost because Pentecost has already occurred. The, the, the Acts chapter 2 uh, is when Pentecost occurred. Uh, when the Spirit of God was poured out on the New Testament church, uh, that was the power to bring in a harvest. Uh, and uh, Jesus, of course, is the fulfillment of all of the Jewish festivals. So uh, it's it's just not possible to trace um, May 26th as being the original day of Pentecost. Jim, sorry, can't, it's the best we can do. Uh if you would like to email us questions at calvaryessay.com, uh, we would love that. Uh, if you have some information uh, where we can kind of track down the source, we can pay a little bit more attention next week. Let's go back to the phones. We've got Jason on line one from San Antonio. Jason, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I just had a, a straightforward question about utterance and tongues. Okay. Um, a, a certain faith group has, like, utterances and then nonsensical where you can't understand them, and then there's sometimes multiple interpretations. And I wrestle with it, look through Acts, and I, I can't find anything that really matches up because I know, like, the initial tongues that were uh, heard and the people around actually heard in their own language. So yeah. if you could address that, I'm sure you have before, but I just haven't heard it. So yeah. I appreciate it. I can, Jason. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, a couple of things, you know, the, 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 when churches practice, everybody's speaking in tongues, and it just sounds gibberish. It's just nonsense. Um, uh, Paul writes to the, to the church in Corinth, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. He talks about the proper use of tongues in the church. And um, um, the proper use of tongues is simple. Um, there is somebody speaks in a tongue two or three at the most, in the assembly now, two or three at the most, and always with an interpreter or an interpretation. So that would mean, and we do this at our afterglows, Jason, um, here at Calvary Chapel. If somebody says, I have a word in tongues, and they get up and they give us a word in tongues, uh, I'll stop everybody and say, okay, now we'll wait for an interpretation. Um, I know we have people in our church body with the gift of interpretation. I don't have that gift, but I know there are people that do. And, and sometimes God wants to give somebody new that gift of interpretation. So we'll wait for an interpretation. If no interpretation comes in just a few minutes, I mean, we're not waiting a long time, but if no interpretation comes, then Paul makes it clear that we're not to to uh, exercise the gift of tongues in the assembly at that particular occasion. Um, but if somebody has the interpretation, 
they will get up and they will share it. And typically the Lord will uh, confirm that with me. It's just the discernment he's given me. I will say that is the interpretation. There have been a few times when I've said, well, that's not the interpretation of, of that particular tongue. Uh, and and uh, or or at least it's only a partial interpretation, um, and and we'll just continue. But but the gift of tongues now is vertical, man talking to God. That's all. It's not to be used in the corporate assembly except under the very uh, strict guidelines that the Apostle Paul gives. Now let's talk about the. Um, Gift of tongues in the book of Acts. It's a completely different thing. Every time the gift of tongues is poured out in the book of Acts, it is a recognizable language and people are heard praising God and they're understood. So it's not just um, a private prayer language there. It's it's public and it's it's always an accompaniment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that Everybody who gets baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit is going to speak in tongues. But in the book of Acts, it's just those times when unbelievers receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts are poured out on them, and then the people around them can identify, yes, I know they're saved. It happened with Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, first with Jews in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. But then with Samaritans, who Jews hated in Acts 8, and then with Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, and Jews didn't believe that Samaritans or Gentiles could be saved, and the gift of tongues were the sign to the Jews who were present there, Peter, John, and the others, that God now accepts people from every nation. So those were always recognizable languages, and they were understood to be praising God. It wasn't just nonsense. They were praising the Lord, which all of us should do. So uh, that's the use of the gift of tongues. And when you see the gift of tongues in the book of Acts, and unfortunately, uh, Jason, um, a lot of Bible teachers uh, try to use the book of Acts to justify the individual gift of tongues, and that just isn't the case because it's a completely different situation. I have the gift of tongues. I don't have the gift of interpretation, um, but but my gift of tongues has nothing to do with the gift of tongues in the book of Acts. The gift of tongues I have is described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. Good question, Jason. Thank you for calling. We have a different Jim on line two from San Antonio. Jim, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Thank you. I'll think it's, I'm glad it's the same Ron that's talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's same Ron. Unfortunately, same uh, old Ron. No, no. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're still there. I had a question about prayer. I, I just appreciate your having a prayer, and you, you'll hear some requests, and you say, well, I'll be praying for that. I just want to know if you have any pointers on my individual uh, desire to become more of a man of prayer. Looking Good for at you. Examples of Daniel and others. Uh, do you do you have like certain people you'll pray for every day, and then others you may pray for every other day, or like once a week? Or, I don't know. Just with the volume of prayer, I've got I've got a simple question about how I would just handle all that, but also just the, the discipline itself. As you've grown as a believer to be a man of prayer, do you have any pointers? Yeah, Jim, I, I, th- I think I can help. I hope so anyway. Uh, and God bless you for wanting to be a man of prayer. Uh, talking to the Lord, I think, is the most important spiritual exercise that we have. Not only is it important uh, for fruitfulness in our walk, but, but it's talking to him that makes us more like him. It's, it's talking to him that, that changes our heart to want his will in our lives rather than our will. You know, too often, most of our prayer, and this is part of the reason that so many prayers don't get answered, you know, we've turned prayer into giving God shopping lists. And um, uh, that, that prayer was never intended to be like that. Prayer is a conversation. Um, we, we make prayer mystical. It doesn't need to be. Uh, I usually pray walking or running, um, I'm out um, on the streets, uh, but I try to carry on a conversation with the Lord all day long. I I want to be so aware of his presence, Jim, that not talking to him would be almost rude. 
And so I can be in my office all alone doing a Bible study or doing something else. And um, as the as the Spirit of God leads, I'll be talking to Jesus just like he was here in this room. I think if we make prayer that simple, that practical, then it doesn't become odorous or onerous. I'm sorry, wrong word, onerous. Um, what we need is just to realize it is a conversation. Now, in terms of the discipline, um, I... I'm a I'm a kind of a routine person. So when I'm out on the streets or when I'm whatever I'm doing, walking, praying, um um I pray for the same people at the same places. That that way I don't forget people. Uh, obviously, I have a lot of people that I pray for daily. And um so I don't want to miss any of them and I always want to be able to bring them before the throne of God and to do that uh, I've got to remember them. So for me, the way to remember them is just as I pray. For instance, we've got people in our church who are suffering physically uh, from different ailments. And, um, um, you know, I'll pray for Paula's health and my health, and then I'll pray for the people in our church. And I do this daily. I don't want to miss their names. And one of the things that I do, Jim, is say, um, uh, Holy Spirit, um, don't let me forget this person. When somebody comes up to me in church, and they do all the time, say, Pastor, what would you pray for me? I say, well, sure, I'll pray for you now, but what do you want me to pray for? And uh, the same thing that happens sometimes when people call on on the program, and the Lord will put in my heart to, to pray for them. Lord, remind me. I, I don't have that kind of a memory anymore, so uh, remind me, Lord, so I don't forget to pray for them. And I've found that the Holy Spirit is really, really faithful. To, to remind me, to bring them to heart and to mind so that I will pray for them. But I think, Jim, if you really want to, to invest yourself in prayer, the idea of being on our knees, and it's okay if you're young and strong and you can be on your knees and it's not pain and distracting, um, but God hears your prayers regardless of your posture. Um, I, when people ask me to pray, I, 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 I want to pray right then. And then the Lord will put in my heart if that's a prayer that he wants me to continue praying. Um, but most of my prayer is just me and Jesus talking. Um, my prayers are far, far, far more about other people than they are about me. I think that's one of the positive effects of prayer. Um, I, I honestly don't pray for me very much. I pray, as I said a moment ago, for mine and Paula's health. Um, you know, I pray for the needs that the church has, uh, but but you know, there's I don't have a list of stuff. Lord, give me this, or Lord, I want this. I, I just I don't pray. God's taken really good care of me, and that way I'm free to spend more time praying uh, for the people um, that 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 God has honored me to be uh, around. So um, that's what I want to do. There's times. Um, Jim, when I'm led to pray for the world that we live in and how insanely crazy and sinful it's gotten, uh, to pray for our leaders, um, I, I don't pray for them every day. Um, I wait until the Spirit prompts me to do so. Um, but but mostly my prayers. Um, you know, I, I I got this, learned this from the Apostle Paul. His prayer list, if you read sort of the, the last chapters of his epistles, his prayer list was overwhelming. And he would say, above all these other things I'm going through, I face daily the pressure of all the churches that he planted. And, um, you know, his prayer list, he, he there's no way he could go into a tent uh, or into somebody's home and pray all that. But But remember... He walked places or rode on horses places. There were lots of time uh, from place to place that he had. And he utilized that time in prayer. Uh, Jesus would, would go alone to the busyness of the day. He'd go away and get alone and often pray all night long. Um, if prayer was that important to Jesus, if prayer was that important to the Apostle Paul, then it needs to be that important to us. And I want to say to everybody out there, I'm not the standard of a man who is a man of prayer. Uh, I, I, I'm just like everybody else. I would love to be able to pray uh, more effectively. Um, but I really and truly believe that prayer is the key. I always call it firing the winning shot in the spiritual battles of life. Um, prayer is the key to a fruitful 
relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said, if you abide in me, uh, I will abide in you. And I think the way we do that is through that conversation. And if we make it too difficult or if we, we go into a dark room or into a closet, um, I think that's so almost a, a cliche. Um, I think we just have to be always about conversation with our Lord. Those are very important concepts. And Jim, at least for me, uh, I want to be a man who uh, I'm always aware of his presence. And conversation often is just me praying for people. Um, but, But there are times when I'm begging the Lord for people. There's times when I feel there's an urgency. Uh, it's wonderful to have the gift of tongues uh, because I can use that gift when I don't know what to pray. That You know, there's times when you say the same thing over and over and over uh, in your prayers from one day to the next. And, and there's times when I just feel like there's a, a greater urgency and, and then I'll use the gift of tongues that God has given me. Uh, but But prayer is just conversation. And if we make talking to Jesus a normal part of our day-to-day lives. Not just when we get up or when we go to bed, but a normal part of our everyday, all-day lives. I think what happens is people will get their prayers answered. One other thought on this, Jim. Um, If you want to be a man of prayer, if you want God to, to increase your prayer, get involved at your church with corporate prayer. Um. I think most churches have corporate prayer. It's plenty of room. It's it's one of those times most people don't come. Uh, Paul and I here at Calvary Chapel, uh, we've been uh, physically present uh, in corporate prayer Saturday mornings at 930. I don't even know how many years now, but it's been a lot of years. And it started, there were two, three people show up. and But Paul and I have been here every Saturday. If we're in town... We're here uh, tomorrow morning, 930. Paul and I, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes for us, um, we'll be here. And um, and now we got a bunch of people that show up. And it's really wonderful. And, and when you hear people praying regularly, not only do your hearts get knit together, but you really can identify the people who are, are, are men and women who actually practice praying. Um. Because, you know, when you pray publicly, sometimes people start using King James English and other times they'll change their voice inflection, um, their speech patterns. You don't need to do that. Just talk to him. And you can tell in a corporate prayer setting the people that are used to praying and the people that aren't used to praying. But the more you, you are in corporate prayer, the more used to praying you'll be. And I think it's really important to pray with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it's worth the time. I tell our church here all the time, Jim, that that nobody should come to corporate prayer every time. But everybody should come sometimes. And you, you see who really believes in prayer and who doesn't. Uh, I want my pastors to be here, and, I, and they've got kids, and they got a lot of things going on. I don't expect them to be here all the time, but I want them to be here sometimes. And the reason I want to be here sometimes is it shows me that they really do believe that God is hearing and answering their prayers. So, Jim, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about prayer. I think it's that important, and God bless you for wanting to do it. Here's a question, Michael. I think we're inside, I'm sorry, Michelle, not Michael. Um, We're inside four minutes now. So Michelle says, when does a fetus become a person? Um, Michelle, I think the Bible's pretty clear. Uh, David said, you you knit me together in my mother's womb. Um, The minute that conception occurs, uh, you are a living, breathing person. You just haven't um, come out of the womb yet. And God is developing uh, in the process of of developing uh, a human being who is wonderfully and marvelously made. Um, um, Your DNA is already established. Um, God knows all of your days. And, um, Michelle, that happens at conception and not um, when the baby comes out of the womb. I was listening to uh, uh, somebody today saying, that a woman needs to have the right to do anything she wants with that fetus until that fetus is out of her womb, out of her, out of her body. Until that moment, 
that's not a baby. And we know that's nonsense. You can look at with with, with sonograms. You can look at the, the the you can see babies smiling and laughing and 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 wincing if there's pain or if they're uncomfortable. Um, that's a, that's a, a person, and and common sense tells you that. Our Bible does too, but common sense tells you that. You know uh, that that same person who is saying a, a woman has the right to to do anything with that fetus as long as it's in the baby. Um, the 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 guy that was talking to him said, "Well, well, what about uh, smoking or drinking or taking meth? Well, they shouldn't do that because they could harm the baby, and he's defeating his own argument." Um, because if it's really her body and her right to make those choices, it wouldn't matter. She could take meth or any other drug, and, and you know, the baby doesn't really matter. Um, but we have to remember that we're dealing with a person, a human being, that is fearfully and wonderfully made, a human being that is the object of the love of God. And so um, to, to take any other position, Michelle, uh, is a position that does not really have any support at all, except in a world that wants to um, sin without accountability. Hey, tonight our seniors are going to be addressing, our graduates are going to be addressing the church. Uh, Go to church on Sunday, find somebody that God wants you to pray for and love on, and remember on Monday we will have a rebroadcast on Memorial Day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back here on Tuesday Live. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.